there. Just a quick reminder before we jump in about the Thursday mini episodes. These episodes, it's just me, just little old me, but I am there giving you an episode that is under 10 minutes designed to help you finish the week strong so you won't want to miss it. But for right now, I am jumping in with the incredible Michael G. Dash. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. entrepreneurs, I am so excited to welcome Michael G. Dash to the show today. You know, the reason why I was attracted to him is because his journey is, you know, unfortunately not unique to the entrepreneurial space on some levels, but I think you're really going to be invested in what he has to say, guys. So let me tell you a little bit more about him. So he is an entrepreneur, a best-selling author of Chasing the High. He is a business coach, a recovering addict, a speaker, and philanthropist. He founded Fate, F-A-T-E, the Fate series, which is from addict to entrepreneur. He's published on Thrive Global and Medium and MD Coaching and Mentoring, where he works with um, entrepreneurs, helping them double their revenues, because who doesn't want that happening in their business, uh-huh. <laughs> while focusing on clarity, consistency, and connection, which I love. You know, and that allows, you know, allowing those entrepreneurs to step into the true leader that they were meant to be, guys. He is the co-founder of The Activated Life, which is a social movement focused on inspiring a culture of positivity, authenticity, passion, empathy, and resilience while giving back to others. He's an avid volunteer, which I absolutely love. He's a fundraiser and a mentor and is dedicated to bringing positive change to leaders of all kind. And also guys, he's from the East Coast. So he's from my neighborhood-ish. So he's from Jersey, which I'll take. I'm from Boston area, but we'll take Jersey too for you, Michael. So welcome and thank you for coming on the show today with me. Hello. I feel like like that's gotta be like some East Coast thing or something, I I don't know. Who knows? But uh, (laughs) thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to jump right in. So one of the reasons, like I alluded to, that I invited you here, because listeners listeners may not know, but I grew up with addiction, you know, front and center in my life, you know, and as a child with, of a parent who's now kind of quote unquote in recovery, you know, when, when folks ask me why I do what I do as an entrepreneur, you know, and all the personal development stuff and all of that, you know, that definitely played a pretty substantial piece and a part of my journey as a, as a professional and as just a functioning adult. So, you know, I want people to hear your story, um, you know, just from beginning to end, just give us, give us all of it, you know, don't, don't leave out any of the stumbling blocks. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, uh, um, 11 years old, that's when it all started for me. I uh, actually, every year went to Springfield and Long Meadow, Massachusetts yeah. for Thanksgiving. Uh, my grandmother lived up there and all of her side of the family, except my mom. So we would drive from New Jersey up there every year. And 
while most of the family was huddled around the table, um, you know, smelling that turkey and hovering around the stuffing and the yams with those marshmallows just yeah, dripping so down over them. Oh my God, I'm drooling thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I wasn't in the kitchen. I was in the living room with my uncle, you know, rooting on one of the two football teams playing uh, because, you know, my uncle had a bet on it. And I was just so enamored at why is he so interested in this and why is he getting so excited about all this? And he explained to me that, you know, he had this sheet in his pocket that he picked, uh, that he took out and he showed me four teams that he circled. And he said, if I, I, I put $10, I bet $10 on this circled four teams. If all four teams win, I win a hundred dollars and three of the teams had already won. So this was the last game and he was rooting really hard and everything. And I was just like enamored. I was like, Oh my God. And he's like, I can put one of the, I can give you a sheet to fill out if you get $10 from your parents. So I ran to my mom. She said, no, I ran to my dad. I said, you know, the next night I was staying with my uncle. So I said, we need, I need 10 bucks to buy hoagies. Cause that's what you guys call them up in Massachusetts. You call them hoagies. Uh, we call them heroes in New Jersey, but they're hoagies, but whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's stuff with meat, and it's, it's terrible for you anyway. But in any case, um, so my dad gave me the $10, and the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me is I won the first bet I ever made at 11 years old. And that rush of adrenaline that I got, I just wanted to duplicate, and I was immediately hooked. That started a 20-year gambling addiction for me you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I worked for my father. He, I'm the son of an entrepreneur. So I was in the warehouse working for him and on the retail store, in the retail store selling and all the guys in the warehouse gambled. So it was very easy. I was like in a position where gambling was all around me. Like the warehouse guys, I would tell my dad, they'll take me home from, from work, but they would really take me to the Meadowlands racetrack, which is about a 40 minute drive from my dad's office. Yeah. And we would go and we would bet on the horses. And at 12, 13, 14, I would have a little money from working for my dad. Like he would give me a, you know, pay me for working. Because I told him, otherwise he's breaking child labor laws. And, you know, you got to <laughs> hook your son up. So I was betting on that. Then my little league coach, turns out, he was a bookie. Because that's how we do things in Jersey. Right? <laughs> And everything is legal in Jersey, right? <laughs> everything's legal in Soprano land. Um, so um, I, I was a perpetual gambler. I was attracted to it. We would then have card games in high school. All my friends, I was the first one who had a job outside of working for my dad, like, or, um, because I was a little bit older than everybody. So I was also the first one who had a bank account. So I would bring a checkbook over to card games at seven, 16, 17 years old. My other friends didn't even have checks. Yeah. They didn't even have a bank account. And nowadays, nobody uses checks. But I'm just saying, this is how old I'm dating myself, obviously. But I can relate, and, I can relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, that just continued to perpetuate itself through, uh, when, and when I went to college, you know, I thought to myself, why should I make bets if I can take bets? And that's when I became a bookie. And that's when I started experimenting with drugs. My roommate in college was shot with a 357 Magnum by his ex-girlfriend. It actually blew out his tricep. Wow. So he had to have some surgery and stuff. He was on all these pills. So when I came back from spring break, 
He had a room full of pills, steroids, cocaine, drugs, access to everything. And I just started experimenting with him. All of them. I did it all. I got hooked on coke for a while. And then I started dealing drugs. So here I am in college, um, full entrepreneur. Yeah. Just never thought it would start with drug dealing drugs. and being a bookie. And at the same time, I was going door to door selling home improvements um, because I was a hustler. And um, if you're a drug dealer, you're a hustler. Yeah. <laughs> if you're an entrepreneur, you're a hustler. Yep. Um, they have a lot in common, drug dealers and entrepreneurs. Well, transferable actually, drug dealers skills, are, folks, transferable skills. Yeah, drug, drug dealers are entrepreneurs who elite, illegal entrepreneurs, basically. Right. Uh, but they're some of the smartest people on earth, um, believe it or not. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I had a addiction to money on top of all of it. And while I'm going door to door and while I'm selling the drugs and while I'm taking the gambling bets and everything, you know, it was money that I was addicted to. And it all fed these uh, these gambling addictions and drug addictions. So it was a combination of all three. Uh, and then when I graduated, I don't know how much if you, you want me to keep going, but when I graduated college, I got a job in New York City and cocaine was really very prevalent then. So like I was working in financial, I was, I was doing staffing and uh, in the financial services field a lot. And a lot of the people that I was working who were clients of mine, financial services, banking in New York City, they party all the time. Yep. And so we would always be at clubs and, you know, they were all into the Coke scene. So I kind of got hooked on that. And I was doing that every weekend. I was gambling every night and doing Coke every weekend uh, for years, uh, years and years. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it just kind of kept spiraling kind of out of control. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and that's the thing is when every kind of step of the way you've described a little bit of how it was normalized, right? Like, you know, it's, it's normal to, to gamble constantly. It's normal to be, you know, doing cocaine on the weekends or just to keep yourself going in those industries. So, I mean, it's just, it's amazing how normalized it is. So, I mean, so yeah. how did you get to be who you are right now? <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> so, you know, I, curiosity and the power of curiosity um, really has saved my life. I mean, it changed my life, I should say. Because I, I, again, this all, a lot of it revolves around Thanksgiving, but I was driving with my brother up to another Thanksgiving and he wouldn't, this is uh, 15 years later, he wouldn't allow me to watch, uh, to listen to sports radio. And I always listened to sports radio because I needed to know the injuries and what was happening with my team. So I knew who to bet on. Right. And I asked him why. And he told me that he was going again with Anonymous and he stopped. Uh, they told him not to listen to sports radio anymore. So I said, OK, I started thinking to myself, though, I want my brother back. What did this Gamblers Anonymous do to my brother? <laughs> and I became curious. So I went to a meeting, not because he told me I needed one, not because anybody pushed me into doing it, but I and not because I wanted to stop gambling because I had no intention. I just wanted to know what did they do to him? What did they brainwash him? Yeah. And I walked in there and I were in a fair long New Jersey. I walk into this room, bottom floor of a church. Of course. I'm Jewish. Walking into a church, right? Um, it's just, it's always like an interesting dynamic. Uh, yeah. And um, 
I hear the, you know, there's about 30, 40 people there. Yeah. And smells. And of course, it's a I, uh, basement. They all have a certain smell. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I hear the mailman talk, the bus driver talk, the teacher talk, the police officer talk, blue collar guys and women. Um, and as, when I first walked in and looked around, I mean, I got a pinstripe suit on. I'm in my 20s. My ego's out of my head. Yeah. I got a $5,000 watch. I'm, like, I think I'm hot shit. I got a nice car. I'm looking around. I see. I'm like, what a bunch of degenerate losers all these people are. Look at them. You know, and ripped jeans and this and that, whatever. After hearing them talk for two hours, I realized that I had more in common with everybody in that room than I did with my closest friends. Yep. And I was introduced to this guy uh, and he started becoming my sponsor and I never gambled again. And it's a lot, it was a lot more difficult than that, but, um, you know, I abstained from gambling. I started working the program. Then I started leading the program and then I moved out to Utah several years later and I led the program there for five years. So, um, it, if I wasn't curious about that meeting, I never would have went and never would have stopped. Right. And for some of my other addictions, I, I didn't go back to the anonymous rooms. Just certain things happen like with the cocaine, like I don't know, 10 years later from where I left off at the previous story, I was out at a club with a buddy of mine and he got in an argument with somebody and I went over to kind of stop, break it up. It looked like a fight was going to ensue. And I got cold clocked like right in the face. It broke my oh, nose. Yeah. So I, I had to like get my nose redone and the doctor gave me the bill and it was $10,000. And I said to him, because I, you know, I gave him my whole history. I said, doc, I'm promising you right now. I will never put anything up this $10,000. No shit. Right. Again. <laughs> and I stopped doing Coke that day That's and awesome. never did, never did Coke again. So, um, it was equated to money though in my head, because I was always chasing that dollar in my mind, success equaled money. Everything would come if I was rich. Yep. The girls would come, the houses would come, the admiration would come, the cars, the all, everything, the happiness, the fulfillment, all of that would come. Except when I had money, it wasn't there. Right, right. I mean, you hear that from a lot of folks, right? But I think you have to go through it to really fully understand because I think at the core, we all kind of try to, try to fill that like I am enough bucket and, you know, it can be with drugs, it can be with money, it can be with something else, but it's something that's not just you, like sitting with yourself. Um, and I have a relative who says, like, one of the scariest places to be is in your head um, for a lot of different oh my reasons, God. right? So when, you, when you're dealing with scarcity mentality or just the money is driving you, I can imagine, like, that's a pretty strong driver, potentially stronger, to your point, than the drugs or any of the other addictions, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, all, all well, I was always chasing the high, which is why that's what I appropriately named my book. Because even if it was sober, I was chasing a high, right? Whether it's running, I ran four marathons, climb Mount Kilimanjaro. You can see the picture in back of me here. Yeah, uh, awesome. I, I always did that though, and uh, around fundraising because the one thing that gave me perspective in this world, and the one thing that actually controlled 
my out of control ego at the time was volunteering. Yeah. You know, I could really connect with the people I was helping. And whether it was the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and team and training that I did those events with that I mentioned to you, yeah. or, or whether it was, you know, feeding the home. I've done a lot with like uh, uh, feeding the, uh, 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 the less fortunate, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, uh, and things of that nature. Like, or right, these days I've been doing a lot in the prison system. Uh, and volunteering at in the prison system and so forth. I, I feel connected to them. So that humbles you and that really gives you perspective. So just like I always profess to anybody who's listening, if you are really feeling down on yourself, if you are in your head, if you're mentally in a bad space, yeah, therapy, all this, habits, all that's important, morning routine, that's all support group, those are all important, but go volunteer. Right, right. It will snap, it will snap you out of things real quickly. And most people look at that as not like one of the first things you would do at all. They look at it like down the road. Like, but I am telling you, if you are depressed, volunteer. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think that's, that's kind of the program talking a little bit too, right? Because that's one of like, you know, I learned that right up front from watching my dad go through the programs and stuff like that was that service, be of service folks. Yes. And I think that's good advice for business, for life, whatever it is, because, you know, just remembering that you're human, remembering that your human's having a messy experience and then going in actually serving somebody else. Like when I have a shitty day, I go through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru and, you know, paying for the people, the five people behind me. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's even that small act. But to your point, I love the fact that you're working in prisons because I grew up with many family members working in prisons and different things like that. And that's a whole other oh, wow. conversation we could have. Um, yeah. Because it's a, you know, a different kind of population there. But you're right. Serve, guys. This is not rocket science. Just serve. That's it. Right. And, and do it for selfish reasons to make yourself feel better. That's fine. Like originally when I started volunteering, that's why I was doing, I was, I, I knew I was a shitty person for lack of a better term at the time or not in general, but like I would treat specific people and, and be very derogatory towards them um, to make other people around us laugh. And I thought, oh, I just got 10 people laughing. Like, they love me. I'm hilarious and blah, blah, blah. But what I didn't think about is that person who I put down and how it made them feel. Yeah. And, yeah. like, that's t it's terrible. Uh, it's not worth, like, you know, demeaning somebody else to get a laugh from these other people. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, so that's how, how it used to be uh, for me. Uh, uh, and then, you know, when – go ahead. No, sorry. Um, I think what you just said, though, is – needs to be accentuated a little bit more about getting the laugh at other people's expense because you see that in the business world too where people will try to try to demean other people to get a leg up right or try to you know that kind of competitiveness that can sometimes come alongside entrepreneurship or you know business in general so i just totally. i just want to drive that point home that that whole blowing other people's candles out to make yours brighter crap doesn't shouldn't be a thing quite frankly. To totally. And it's like an East Coast thing more than anything. Like we do it on the East Coast a lot, mm -hmm. you know, a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Anyways, keep going. So, so what are you doing nowadays? And you know. Yeah. So just to pick up on where I was, like I, I read, I was working for a staffing company. I had about a $4 million book of business that I was 
that I built and was managing at the time. And then I started, uh, I was calling on a company called E-Trade Financial, if you're familiar with them. And, you know, they said, we don't have business in New York, but if you happen to know somebody in Sandy, Utah, we're trying to hire 200 financial service reps in the next three and a half weeks. And I was like, oh, I knew one person outside the metropolitan area in staffing. She happened to be in Utah. So I, I, we had worked together a year prior in New York before 9-11. So I called her up. I'm like, hey, I got this great opportunity. Let's put a bid in. We put a bid in because uh, my company didn't want business if it wasn't in New York and New Jersey. Right. So I wasn't going to let this opportunity pass me by. So we put a bid in, won the bid, and from that, and, and, and fulfilled the project under uh, budget and on time. And from that, we got projects in Alpharetta, Georgia, Jersey City, and Tampa, Florida. And we filled 800 full-time financial service reps in one year. Wow. It was actually more money than it made in one year, even up to this day. Yeah. So from that, one thing led to another. And I went out to Utah, and me and her started our own company nice. uh, called Parallel HR Solutions. And we built that up to about $5.5 million a year for the, uh, over five years. And then we started butting heads and I wanted to grow the company to 20 mil. She was happy at where it was. She wanted still 50, 50 split. She wouldn't give in. She was working six hours. I was working 12. Wasn't working. Right. We hated each other at the time. My ego was huge. Her ego was huge. Yeah. We just started clashing. We had to go to our lawyers to negotiate a buyout between the two of us. Yeah. So I leveraged it. So I bought her out. Uh, within six months of the buyout, I paid $1.35 million for the company. I paid a million up front, which I didn't have, so I had to borrow it, and I owed her three fifty dollars more. <laughs> so within six months, um, probably within three months, actually, I found out she was having an affair with the director in my India office, because we had an office in Salt Lake City, Utah, in New York, and in India. Wow. And I knew I was screwed right then, because that guy who I needed him to manage and run my India office is having an affair with the person who hates me and I hate her. Yeah. So within three months of that deal, nine of my India employees resigned and she had the, and nine of my 15. So I had like six people left. She had the, and she moved them upstairs directly upstairs from my current team in India and started her own company. And then, so like I stopped paying her, obviously she sued me for it. And then we went back and forth with countersuits and that lawsuit lasted six years, six years. Damn. It cost me $1 million in legal fees, my own lawyers over a 350 K case. Yeah. And it was because like my, mentality was win at all costs. Like it didn't, the money didn't even matter. It was about winning or losing. And I was so, like, I didn't have the maturity at that time that I have now. I didn't, uh, you know, understand the big scheme of things and, and could see things from a big picture. You know, I was just worried. And I was asking my dad for advice, the wrong person to ask for advice to your parents because they're emotionally invested Mm -hmm. and they're going to obviously want to protect their son or daughter. So they're going to give you advice from that perspective. Oh, don't let anyone screw with you, Michael. Yeah. You know, no (laughs) way you, you got to take this girl down. Also very East coast. (laughs) 
so that that kind of inflamed and infatuated everything and um i was miserable uh, at the time i was also uh, i had moved on from gambling and cocaine and discovered adderall and ghb and uh, marijuana was around during all this by the way First. the whole time so um you know i was popped up on adderall every day at the office adderall really messed with me because if you haven't taken adderall before it basically will uh, 10x your emotional state, whichever yes. way it is. Yep, it will. Yep. So if you're having a good day, it's the best day you've ever had in your life. And if you're having a bad day, you're on the verge of like suicide. You're completely depressed yeah. and everything. <laughs> and so, and then I would be smoking weed at night, and then I'd be doing GHB on the weekends. And GHB is this liquid substance that you're completely wasted on if you take a cat, two capfuls of it. But if you take, and it's like you're drunk and out of it if you take three capsules though you'll probably black out and you will not remember anything yeah and I, think, I think something drug. with that too is that that stuff's pretty prevalent when it comes to especially you know high-end entrepreneurship too and tech world and stuff like that you see it you see it a lot more <laughs> i think that you know the solopreneurs and different things like that fine but you know, when the expectations are high, plus you add in an addictive personality, plus you add in the stress and you don't have necessarily the coping skills to go with it. That's like a recipe for, for fucking disaster. Honestly. Yeah, totally, totally. And I was like, so I built this life for myself that as, from a child, I thought I wanted and then I achieved it and I was miserable. I was just completely miserable human being. I hated myself. I hated the people around me, you know, I, but nobody knew because I wore a mask. Right. Of course. I would go out and I'd be the center of attention. I, I had a bar uh, for a year and a half buying everybody, people, all the people at the bar shots to be that big man on campus syndrome. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when none of those people were actually friends. None no, they were party cared. friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, things changed for me when I took a trip to Bali about three, three and a half years ago. Nice. Good old Bali. In my entrepreneur group that I'm in, like we have a Facebook shared page and somebody posted about this retreat in Bali. And I would go over to India every year to visit my office in India. And then, so I would wrap another country around that trip so I could go explore a new country. So I decided this is perfect. I can go to in my India office and then go to Bali. And that's what I did. And it was this uh, uh, retreat called Unconventional Life. And it was all people living life on their terms, not based on conventional societal norms. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, that's cool. I'll go check it out. So when I got there, we were in, I found myself in a workshop and there were two people on stage talking about flow consciousness and living in a state of flow by following your intuition and making decisions that way, not with your conscious mindset, but with your intuitive guide pulling you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is nonsense, right? And they would start, they were on stage literally telling me they manifested this in their lives and all these synchronicities that would happen around them. And, you know, if it's not a hell yes, it should be a fuck no. And sorry if you need to bleep that out, but we're on the no, East Coast. I'm not bleeping I mean, it out. There's no bleeping out. All right, good. Don't bleep that shit out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, so... So I thought, wow, this is a totally different way of thinking and living, uh, but uh, it sounds like bullshit to me. 
So I raised my hand in third, there were 30 people in there. They're all strangers. I didn't know them. And I really dumped all my stuff out, how much pain I was in, my addictions that were taking me over. The fact that I was running a company that was running me, uh, you know, the fact that like I, I um, just was an arrogant prick, <laughs> like everything. I felt completely unfulfilled. I had these houses, I had these cars, you know, I had a, a bar. But it meant nothing. I was miserable. I was thinking about, you know, downing a bottle of Oxy. Oh, yeah. I didn't mention my Oxy cotton oil, uh, you know, tripped down memory lane. So you add that in, too. And um, they just told me they offer this course. They've been able to help settle lawsuits before divorces that were going on for years. People came in their course and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I remember as I was listening to them, I was turning to my neighbor next to me and I was like, this is, you know, the synchronicity shit, this manifestation shit. This is what we call in back east. If you work hard, good shit happens to you. Okay. Like, and, and, and hey, guess what? Wake up, people. There are coincidences in life. This synchronicity crap, it's a coincidence. And like, they were just like, shut up. Just listen to what they have to say. And yeah. so I, I talked to them after the session for like an hour. And I remember thinking on my flight home from uh, uh, Bali to Salt Lake City, Utah, where I was living at the time, I kept saying over and over to myself, would it be so bad to live a different way? Would it be so bad to live a different way? And that feeling felt so light. I, it's like something was lifted off of my shoulders. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to take this course and this woo-woo whatever. And I spent $1,200 and I took this course and it was the best decision I ever made in my life because it changed the trajectory of my life. Awesome. Yeah, we went through, Yeah, we went through this process of clearing out limiting beliefs by journaling, EMDR, and tapping. I don't know if you're familiar with tapping and EMDR. very familiar, yeah. Okay, Good. great. So you're, for your audience, uh, you know, you're like tapping on different parts of your body, but specifically what I did was it was between my spine and my shoulder blade. And there's a gland back there, like an emotional gland that releases things within you. And you're doing EMDR, which is rapid eye movement. So you're moving your eyes back and forth, left to right, left to right while you're tapping and releasing a limiting belief. An example would be change is difficult. Most people do think change is difficult. It's a limiting belief for them, but it's actually very easy. Um, But anyway, you would repeat this out loud for like a minute and a half, and then you would put these positive beliefs in, which the opposite of change is difficult, because change is easy. Mm -hmm. So um, we went through this process and everything, and then things started changing in my life. I was looking for solutions of how am I going to get out of this lawsuit? How am I going to get out of this company? And, and at the time, I thought I was going to go bankrupt. So I was hiding all of my money. I was going to the bank and withdrawing $9,999. Because if you withdraw under $10,000, then it, the government doesn't know about it. And I researched around the country, and there are like four or five banks that were here, like when the Indian reservations were here, that are not federally regulated. So I found one in San Francisco and I was, I flew there with $80,000 in cash just so I could hide my money in case I lost, in case I lost my lawsuit and had to go bankrupt. (laughs) 
all these what ifs and everything all over the place. And people stop with the what ifs. It took me like 40 years. <laughs> the what ifs wasted so much of my time nine, and, and energy and focus that, you know, I realized 99% of the what ifs in life never happen. Agreed. Agreed. But they're, so they're driven by the limiting beliefs, right? They're, dri they're driven by limiting beliefs. by your fear and your limiting beliefs. Bingo. Bingo. And we're programmed with that. You know, if you grow up in this country, you know, you're passing, your parents are, 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 were programmed by it. They're doing the best that they can. But then they program us with it. Then the media programs us with it. Then the people you're around program us. It's like you have to reprogram your brain because we have been brainwashed all this time. Right. And I'm not a conspiracy person. So no, and I mean, but, it's, but, but it's very true. I mean, we talk a lot on the show about abundance versus scarcity mentality, right? Yeah. This whole, like, just because, you know, you give somebody else a chance at something doesn't mean it's less for you, you know, or, you know, being driven by that scarcity mentality. And I see it in clients all the time where they're making, you know, desperate business decisions, you know, similar to getting on a plane with like 80,000 in cash, you know, like crazy business decisions, you know, but that's coming from a place of scarcity and fear instead of abundance. And, you know, I don't know what else you want to call it. <laughs> Trust, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. When I look at some of the behaviors that I was partaking in is absolute insanity, really. Um, but after I started doing this work and everything, and it took me about a year, but things started happening for me. I was starting to manifest solutions to like all my challenges. They were just showing up. Yep. So instead of hiding things here, oh, and I didn't tell you, I transferred all my houses over to my father also. <laughs> I had four houses at the time I was renting. I transferred 99% of them to my dad. Again, preparing to go bankrupt, preparing to lose, preparing for things that weren't happening. Right. And that never ended up happening. Right. Yeah. But I was doing all this thing, all these things to prepare for something that I convinced myself could happen. So I better protect what I, you know, the little money I can hold on to because yeah. I was in a, for a million already. And um, it just, it, it was just, I was driving myself crazy. That's what I was doing. I mean, it's catastrophizing. So, catastrophizing is the word for that, right? Like we're going to think of all the cat catastrophes that can quite possibly happen. And we're going to control, try to control the outcome of every single one of them. Um, <laughs> when we really yeah, have no absurd. control, period. No, no. Over that. You have control over how you react to it, but not others and the things that happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, no, it's a great point. And so, uh, you know, things started happening and I was able to actually settle the lawsuit after I went to trial and everything. I won't get into all the details that you can read about them in my book, but I, it was nasty. But anyway, I, I was able to settle the lawsuit and sell the business in the same week. Wow. And um, yeah, and that's when, excuse me, and, and that's when I decided to leave Utah and I moved to Cali. I wrote my book, Chasing the High, an Entrepreneur's Mindset Through Addiction, Lawsuits, and Journey to the Edge. Mm -hmm. And then I started, uh, you know, my coaching business and started focusing on helping others that are in kind of like that are entrepreneurs who might have addiction issues um, or who are looking to grow their businesses anywhere from the one to kind of $10 million market. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I love that one. I love, and this is going to sound weird, but stay with me for a minute. I love that you're a guy because I feel like there are probably a lot of male entrepreneurs, one, not emoting, like not being able to kind of sit with their own emotions and, you know, using escapism in a bad way for that, you know, and two that you can say like, this shit isn't woo woo. <laughs> like this stuff actually works where you see it more prevalent with women where we're like meditate and yoga and all that stuff, but you don't see like, and you're a Jersey guy saying it. So like, to me, that holds more weight. <laughs> so I think I, I really kind of love that, that you're doing that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, and I also agree with you. I am um, very uh, grateful that I'm a guy as well. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, um, but in reality, uh, that is true. But um, I, uh, I just was at a sound healing last night. I mean, if you haven't been to a sound bath or a sound healing, this is for you East Coast people because I didn't know what it was. I mean, you go into a room, lay down like you're meditating, and go on a journey of sound for about an hour yep. where they're playing different sound bowls and different instruments. And it's the most relaxing thing you could ever partake in. And all the anxiety you walk in there with and stress, it just falls off of you. And literally it is the best high you can get without doing any drugs. And <laughs> that's why I love it. Cause oh, you know, yeah. not, I don't do drugs anymore. I got to replace it with something. Right. I think that's because it's part of your being. I think that's what people don't fully understand about addiction is it's, it's not something that just goes away. I mean, for myself, I fought addiction to, I knew damn well to stay away from cocaine and all those things because I would like them too much. <laughs> and I knew if I touched it, it wasn't going to end well. Um, but I mean, then I dealt with addiction to work, you know, which is something you see in entrepreneurship a lot. Addiction to the hustle, addiction to, you know, that badge of busy or whatever the hell that is. Like, you know, so it's a very, it's something that never leaves your body, but you just have to focus the energy in a positive way somewhere. Um, Agree. Yeah. Totally. So, I mean, as we wrap up, because we've been going, I could, again, I could just keep talking about this because I think your story is, is fascinating. And I think that there, there are a lot of people out there that need to friggin' hear it, quite frankly. Um, yeah. Not that I keep harping on the East Coast, but on the East Coast. <laughs> I agree, but I feel like I'm the perfect example of like, I'm never going to lose my East Coast. I don't want to. I love it. Yeah. Um, but I also am spiritual and on a path of spirituality. Um, and I feel like I'm a combination of both. Like, I'm never going to be like completely wooey, 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 like, like, you know, some of the practices going on. Um, but I'm also, you know, not going to stay stuck in a pattern of thought that there's only one way to live. Yes. And that's how I felt on the East coast yeah. in New York, that everybody is kind of heads down. The only thing that matters is work and how much you make and what your title is and what kind of car you have and what kind of watch you have and is that a designer suit you have on and you know i'm buying this condo selling that condo all those things in the big scheme of things none of that matters when you're dead and buried nobody's gonna be like oh that guy had a nice house exactly yeah <laughs> and it's all filling the void it's filling the am i enough void 
Yeah. You are. Like, here's the deal. You are. Like, no matter what the fuck suit you're wearing or car you're driving or whatever, it doesn't matter. But, you know, going back to what you said earlier, it's the programming. Um, so, I mean, as yeah, we totally. up, oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say totally. And that, and, you know, on the, on the East Coast, like, that's what is important to people because that's what's bred into them. That's what's programmed into them. But at the end of the day, like, the true answer is, how many people did you have a positive impact on? Yeah. And yeah. That's how you'd be measured as a human being on this earth. Amen. Amen to that. That is a, that is a perfect sentiment right there. So can you tell people kind of where they can find you as we wrap things up and, you know, about a little bit where they can get your book, things like that, so they can dig a little bit more deeper into your life? Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, my book is on Amazon and Audible. If you'd like to hear this lovely Jersey accent, <laughs> Uh, I read it myself, uh, and it was a great experience. It's called Chasing, Chasing the High, and on Amazon, you can just go to chasingthehighbook.com. That'll take you right to, to the book on Amazon. Uh, my website is www.michaelg-.com. If anybody's going through any addiction challenges or is an entrepreneur and looking to grow their businesses, I've been through it all. I'm glad to have a I'll have a free one-hour consultation call with you. You can just contact me through my website. And I'm on all social media, you know, Instagram, M-D-A-S-H-1. And um, Facebook is Michael.Dash and LinkedIn and, you know, yada, yada. Yeah. And I'll be, sure to, I'll be sure to drop all that stuff in the notes. And then also, I'm really excited, as always, to announce that there's a little special extra something for members of my surviving entrepreneurship community. If you are in there, which if you're not, uh, hello, get in it. So, because get in there, get in there. <laughs> uh, Michael is giving us a free, you know, an alignment assessment, which I absolutely loved because which, what it's going to do, guys, is it's going to allow you to track down, you know, track your daily activities for a 24 hour period, you know, and capture it kind of in pie chart form. So then you can really get a sense of are you in alignment with what the hell you want to be doing in your life? Are you not? <laughs> you know, what does that look like? Which we all need to be asking that question of ourselves if we're in alignment with what we want to, and how we want to show up in this world. So get in there and get that free gift. And Michael- yeah, It's a great tool. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds really amazing. Um, so thank yeah. you very much for spending time with us. This was an amazing conversation and I'm so happy that you were able to, to chat with me today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So I gotta say that that episode almost rendered me completely speechless. Not gonna lie. Um, when you hear about his story and all of the ups and downs and the lawsuits and the addiction and, you know, everything that he's been through while building a business, you know, and the story of redemption that happened afterwards and the changes that he's made in his life, it's absolutely incredible. But it also reminds me that that is not as uncommon as we may think, you know, these are real people, real people with real challenges in their lives, you know, making a living, creating something out of nothing over and over again, while struggling with those limiting beliefs and everything else that comes along with it. So if you are somebody out there who is struggling or who is dealing with some stuff similar to Michael, you know, reach out, find a friend, talk to them about it you know, attend a meeting, whatever you need to keep you going.
And on next week's episode, I am so privileged to have my friend Sue Izza with us. And you see, Sue has one just an incredible past as she was, um, I believe, the first female to found a sports agency in the country. And she has got some stories, but also, you know, breast cancer survivor, just an incredible human being. And you do not want to miss that. And as always, if you love this podcast, don't forget to download, subscribe, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later. Bye.